Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1 as we continue our series on reclaiming Christmas. Looking at Luke chapter 1, we began at verse 26. And today we're going to pick it up at verse 34 and look at it from 34 through 38. Thus far, as you're getting there, I want to give you a, what we've been doing. Thus far, we've seen that Christmas is a time that we acknowledge the life-giving divine intrusion into, into our lives, into nature, into the world by God's grace. We saw that Christmas is a time that we acknowledge God's grace in His unmerited favor. We also saw that Christmas is a time where we reflect upon and declare the hope of reconciliation between man and God through the God-man, through the one who was, who is truly man and truly God. That's what we saw last, last week. And today, what, um, in our time together, what we'll be looking at is um, how Christmas is a time that we trust and submit to the mysterious and powerful work of the divine, the mysterious and powerful work of the Holy Spirit who works out the purposes of God to save his people through the truly human, truly divine baby born to a virgin. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the word of God, Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. This is what it says. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her, in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her, who was, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, so that we would ascend our souls, our minds, our hearts, our ears, our eyes, to heaven this moment to ask that heaven would be opened and invade our minds, our hearts, our intellect, our ears, our, our souls to give us clarity of your word, to give us meaning of the word, to give us the implications of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. So as we come before you, we ask that you would come down from heaven and fill us by your spirit to illumine your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys know how every December, November, December, after Thanksgiving, especially, people start wishing you a happy holiday. 
right? You'll meet somebody, you'll see them, or you'll go and check out at the grocery store, and they'll check you out, and they say, thank you, happy holidays, right? And that's been something that's been playing in my mind, and I've been asking that question to, in my head, why is it easy for people to say, it just rolls off your tongue, right? You might be even one of those who would say happy holidays. Why is it so easy to say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas? Why is, why is that? Have you ever pondered why that is? Or am I only the only one that thinks about stuff like this? Why is it so easy for people to say happy holiday and not Merry Christmas? As I'm thinking through this, it occurred to me, Besides the, the culture that we live in, where you have to be politically correct, if you say Merry Christmas and then the person is Jewish and they, they celebrate Hanukkah, then you're offending them, you know. Besides that, besides the political correctness that our culture is constantly telling us, and besides the 11th commandment, you guys know what the 11th commandment is, right, those of you? Thou shalt be nice. It's not in the Bible. It's just what we think is... You just have to be nice, no matter what, at, at the cost of whatever, right? So besides the 11th commandment, and besides the political correctness culture that we live in, I think it's easier for us to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, because saying Merry Christmas would imply an admission to the reality of the exclusive, incomprehensible, fact that God actually became like one of us, like we were singing earlier. That the divine beca became like one of us, like people, through a very unprecedented, unreplicable method of conception. So we can't really get our minds around what Christmas means and how Christmas came about. I mean, post-postmodern man doesn't want to admit or concede the possibility of the supernatural actually intervening into the natural. We don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to concede that as, as postmodern society. You know, that's only reserved for the movie screens. You know, the Marvels and the DCs where, you know, multiverse and you have all these fantasies that, that come and then they come to save the world. That, that's only in the movies. It can't be real for the postmodern society. And in a way, it makes sense. Because how can you explain the supernatural becoming a part of the natural without compromising his deity? How can you, how can you account for that? Do you have a... Do you have a reasonable, a logical explanation for that? Do you have a grid through which you can explain or even comprehend that? We really don't. Right? I mean, think about it. How does God become a human? How does a deity become, how does the creator become part of his creation without actually compromising his deity. How does that work? Try, to, try explaining that to an eight-year-old as you're reading the Bible for bedtime and then 
this question arises. Try explaining that. We don't have a grid by which to explain it. And in our text, it appears that neither did Mary. And we see that in the question. Look down with me to verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? How, did, how does this work? How will this be? What is the this that she's talking about? Look at verse 33, uh, th uh, 32, actually starting in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive, he tells her. The angel Gabriel comes and tells her, you will conceive in your womb and you bear a son. And he will be called the son of the Most High. And she's saying, wait, how can this be? I don't have a grid by which I can think through this. I don't have any kind of reason to go about what you're saying to me right now. This is what she's saying. So she asked that question. How is this possible? I don't understand. I mean, based on her experience, based on her reasoning, it's impossible that such a thing would happen. It's not only virtually impossible, it's completely impossible. Based on her experience, based on her reasoning, it's impossible for such a thing to happen. Now, Mary is Jewish. You guys do know that. The Virgin Mary was Jewish. And surely, as, as Jewish custom would tell her, the Old Testament, she was probably familiar with women like Sarah, women like Rachel and Hannah, and Manoah's wife, that's Samson's um, mother. She knows the stories. She's heard of them. So there is a precedent of people supernaturally conceiving, conceiving babies. However, all these other women that I just mentioned that she might have been, that she would have been familiar with, had something in common. That is, they were all married. They all knew a man. They weren't virgins. So even that kind of just stops her and says, how, how can this be? I still don't have a grid by which to think through this. And if we're honest, that reasoning is correct. It's, it's right. There's no one that can reasonably say, why would Mary ask such a question like that to the angel? I mean, doesn't she know? I mean, think of the times where you have been in a predicament and say, okay, I don't know how this is going to happen to me or for me or around me. I just, I just don't know how. I, I don't know how to think through this. And you reason through it and you, you, your logic follows and you have, uh, if this happens and that happens, you got all of these things and you look back in your life and everything that you've done and then you get to a point where you're like, okay, I, I, just, I just don't know how. How this is going to be possible. And no one could come in that moment and say, that's not right. Why would you, why would you think such a thing like that? And this is where Mary finds herself in this conversation she's having with the angel because she based her question on a simple but concrete human and natural reality what is that simple 
but concrete reality that she's basing her question on? Verse 34 tells us, how will this be since I am a virgin? She says, I'm a virgin. And virgins don't get pregnant. Unless they've had relations with a man, obviously. We know that. So it's like, I'm sure Mary's thinking, you know, I've heard of the birds and the bees. I ain't see no bees. I ain't see no birds. How am I going to get pregnant? How is this going to be? I'm, I'm puzzled by this. It's impossible. And not only her question I want us to consider this morning, but who is she asking is important to, to consider. She asked the divine messenger. This is, she's saying this to, 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 to the angel Gabriel, who is the divine messenger from God, to give her insight to this really perplexing mystery that doesn't fit into the laws of nature. And that is really an indicator for us today. The application and implication of that is that the natural, us, the creation, we must always look to the divine. We must look to divine revelation for wisdom and for insight. So she's asking the right questions the right, in the right direction. Because to look to divine revelation for wisdom and insight is the will of God for his creation. The things revealed belong to man so that man can base his life upon it. But there are things that are not revealed, that are hidden, that, that only God can know about. And this is why Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, I think it's up there for you. You don't have to turn there. Um, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to Yahweh, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever. So what? So that we may do all the words of the, this law. But back in our text, what we see here at this point is what Mary is not realizing, but she will soon realize, and by extension, what you and I should reckon with is that Mary was standing on the brink of a new dispensation of divine revelation. She was standing on, on, on the edge of a new thing that God was doing. She was standing on the edge of the fulfillment of what God says. In Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, And it will be afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even the male slaves and female slaves, I will in those days pour out my spirit. She was standing on the brink of the fulfillment of that prophecy. She didn't realize it, but she would realize it. And you and I, looking back, can see that clearly now. And I'm, I'm here to convince you and reassure you because this is why Luke writes his gospel so that you can be assured that Christmas, that the, everything, the account of the birth of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection is so that you can know that this is possible. It's not an impossibility, as Mary would say. 
because we're the divine mystery of the work of the Holy Spirit is about to be introduced to her. We see this in the angel's response, looking down at verse 35. Angel answered and said to her, what does he say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He tells her the means by which this incomprehensible, this unprecedented event, this unprecedented conception, this incomprehensible pregnancy will take place. He tells her the means by which it will take place. Notice with me, by the way, how the angel doesn't appeal to science, mathematics, technology, reason, philosophy, or any other means within the realm of the natural world to give her the answer. How can this be? Well, you know, um, in, in, in 700 BC, uh, there, there was a group of people, he didn't go back to history. He didn't say, well, you see how, 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 how the uh, anatomy of the woman works. He didn't go to science. He doesn't appeal to those things that are in the realm of the natural world. Instead, what he appeals to is the supernatural. The one who cannot be seen nor measured by human and natural means to explain the truth. The one who we just read about if you were here for our scripture reading. The one who said, to whom would you liken me? Well, who, who is going to be my comparison? Who, who are you going to say God is like this to? There's no comparison, right? I mean, we, can, we have many, many kind of metaphors and descriptions that we give when somebody's strong. We can say, oh, somebody's strong as a bull. You know, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that the person is a bull. We're just saying the strength that is in this person can be compared to one that is in a bull. We can even say when somebody's fast, we can say, oh, somebody's fast as lightning. Like you, can, you have a grid to compare. Who can you compare God with? You can't compare. And this is what the angel, who the angel appeals to. That's the first place that he goes to. He sticks to the script, the heavenly reality that he knows. I mean, if anybody knows this heavenly reality, that God is incomparably uncom in incomprehensible and, and he, there's no one that, uh, that we can compare him to, it's the angel. Why? Because if you look at Luke chapter 1, verse 19, the angel, Gabriel, introduces himself to us. I am Gabriel who stands before God. So the angel is sticking to the script. The messenger of God is referring to what he knows from being in the presence of God. Here are a couple of practical implications that I want to give you today so you can consider them about how you are to receive the truth of the gospel and share it with others. How, how does this apply to your life? Okay, fine. Can I ask you a question? When people come to you and, and challenge your faith in God, challenge your faith in Christ, 
And they say, this is unreasonable. What are you talking about, man? Like a virgin given birth 2,000 years ago, and then this guy came. What are you talking about? What is your appeal? What, what do you go to first? Do you try to go to history or science or reason or philosophy to kind of argue your point, which is not a bad thing in and of itself? But what do you go that what do you go to first? When we receive the gospel, we are we are to receive the gospel not from the human or from the natural perspective, but our primary source of truth. The primary source of truth should flow from our intimacy with God. You see, the angel stood before God. He had, he had a close relationship. He saw who God is. He was in the presence of God. So if you're not in the presence of God, and if you don't have an intimacy with God, and your convictions about what you believe may not even come from that intimacy. The intimacy is the only way that... The, when something happens where you can't explain, when there's a challenge in front of you, when there's anxiety in front of you, when there's, a, when, when there's trouble in front of you, and even forget the trouble, even when there's something good that happens to you and you don't know how to explain it, your human instincts are going to tell you find reasons to do this it's because i did this it's because this is it's because i'm a victim of this it's because i'm a victim of that it's because i sinned that way or it's because i did this favor to god and god is now rewarding me back that's that's how our human fallen default status wants us to think but those who have an intimacy with god those who have if you have experience and you are pursuing being in the presence of God, your primary source of truth flows from your intimacy with God and His divinely inspired word and scripture. And it's sealed in your heart by the Holy Spirit. So back in our text, the angel says, the same Holy Spirit who was hovering the water, over the water and creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. That same Holy Spirit, the one who rightly owns all of creation, as he is the power by which all of creation was brought forth, including Mary, by the way. The one who rightly owns all of creation, including Mary, will indeed come into Mary's personal space, with his unsearchable, mysterious power. In other words, the, the divine and mysterious power, the, the influence that flows from God the Father, God the Most High, is applied to Mary by the personal, emphasis on personal, the Holy Spirit is not an energy. It's not an it. He, he is personal. So this divine, mysterious power and influence that flows from God the Most High is applied to Mary by the personal interaction of the Holy Spirit who accomplishes the conception 
of the flawless, sinless, mysterious, supernatural Son of God. What is revealed here to Mary and to us is that this is the result of the supernatural and mysterious operation of the Holy Spirit. That's what is revealed to us. This is what the angel is telling her. How does this happen? She asks in verse 34. Verse 35, he says, well, the power of the Holy Spirit. The divine mystery of the operation of the Holy Spirit. By the way, although it may seem mysterious, it doesn't mean that it's unreasonable. I, I, I want to show you that the logic actually tracks. Look down at your Bibles to verse 32 in Luke chapter 1. Look at this divine declaration as we considered last week, where the angel tells Mary that he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And if this baby, if the son who is to be born, the child who is to be born, is going to be called the Son of the Most High, right? Some incomprehensible divine mystery had to be involved in the way that it came to pass. Like, we don't have to understand the very intricacy of how exactly what molecules and what kind of cell multiplied in there, is there DNA, Y and X and whatever. We don't have to know it to that detail, but we, it does track. When something happens, we see the effect. The effect tells us that there is a cause. I mean, practically, think of your salvation. Think of how you were saved and why you were saved. Think of your sanctification right now after you're saved, if you're saved, the life that you live now. Think of that. Think of the assurance that you have of your salvation. Better yet, let's make it even more practical. Think of your battles and victory over sin that you deal with day in and day out. Think about those battles and victories against sin. Think about your convictions about God and His reality and His truth. And your desire to do His will in your life. Think about those things. Those are practical things that you can, you have, you have a grid by which to think about that. How can you explain that these realities are in your life, but they're not in others? What, what, what accounts for that? What is it about you, personally, that can account for? What kind of reasonable, logical argument can you present to me or to anybody that gives you the power to overcome sin in your life? Or to, to know that God is real? What is it? What is, can you tell me any reasonable, like empirical data and say, this is exactly it, you know, uh, this is the, the little vibration that I feel right here. And then it, it has like six megahertz. Um, and can you give me numbers? 
Can you physically show me what convicts you about your trust in the Lord? What empowers you? How can you explain those realities are in your life and they're not in others? Who do you think is working these things out from salvation to sanctification to your assurance to your victory over sin about your convictions? Who is, who is the one that's actually giving you the power, or the, uh, the, 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 the drive, the will if, to work these things out in your life? Who is it? It's the Holy Spirit, you would say. I hope you would say it's the Holy Spirit. Yet, you and I know that neither one of us can break down the details, like I said, the very intricate details of his workings. You just see the effects in your reality. You know, you were addicted to, 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 to pornography. Now you're not anymore. Wow, I'm free. I don't know how it happened. You know, like it's not like magic, though. You know, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety, but as soon as I read my Bible, something comes over me, and then I, I just find peace that surpasses understanding. You know, there's, there's this conviction that I have in my heart that when I die, if I die today, right now, when I leave here, and I, God forbid I get in a car crash and I die, I know I'm going to be alive again forever. Give me an empirical data. I can give you one. You can give me one. But we do know the effect. We have this supernatural working of mystery the mysterious work of the holy spirit in us you see the effects of his work in reality and this is what our lord jesus tells uh, nicodemus right uh, i think that should be up there as well john chapter 3 verse 8 jesus says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it you hear it sounds but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going Where's the source of the wind? I mean, we can tell the, the wind is blowing this fast east or the wind is blowing this fast to the northeast. But where did it start? Nobody knows. Even with our technological advances, I don't. Where, show me the, the starting point of the, the, the wind. And you can track him back and track him back. You're back to where you started. It's like, oh, it started where, where I felt it? No, it doesn't. We don't know where, where it comes from, the wind even, right? So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. That is the reality. We see the effect and we know that it's true. And I think that is for that reason why the angel jumps into the natural realm to show Mary this divine mystery fits with reality by pointing to Elizabeth. Look down with me and behold, verse 36, your relative, after he tells her this is going to happen by this supernatural, mysterious, and powerful work of the Holy Spirit that's going to be done in your life. And he jumps back to reality to show her, here's some of the effects that you can actually look at and say, okay, I have a grid. Even though it's mysterious, it's not unreasonable. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. 
This is the sixth month of, for her who was called barren. I mean, she was barren, obviously. It says that. She couldn't conceive children. And last time I checked, there was no in vitro fertilization technology invented 2,000 years ago. That's, that's a new thing. Then no, no kind of treatment. How do you explain that, Mary? How can a baron conceive a child? Oh, I have a grid to think about that. I know Sarah. I've heard about Rachel. I've heard about Hannah. Going and praying and crying and seeking the Lord in the presence of the Lord in the supernatural. Then giving her a son. But personally, those are way too removed, right? I mean, we're talking hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, between Sarah and Mary. He says, go, go to your cousin, your relative, like somebody you know. And, and we know, and as, as if you continue to read verse 39, Mary actually goes to see her relative. It's a person that you can see and touch. So it's a personal example. It's a, it's a reasonable thing. It's right there in front of you. Then, I love this, verse 37, the angel delivers a knockout blow. A line of reasoning that no one can ever have a comeback to. You can't come back, you cannot come back from that. This is the knockout blow. He says, verse 37, the reason that this pregnancy is possible, this conception is possible, is that nothing is impossible with God. Friends, ultimately the buck stops with God. The buck stops with the source of divine power and wisdom and will. And in His realm, in that divine realm, impossibility doesn't exist, is what the angel says. If anybody knows about what that realm looks like, it's somebody that came from there. Like you and I can guess, we can, we can, we can have a theoretical understanding about it, we can trust our Bibles and, and, and read that. But he has a more personal, like, this, this man knows. Well, this angel knows, he's not a man, to be exact. He knows, he's, there's, there's no impossibility. See, we have that word, impossible, in our vocabulary. You and I do. All humanity does. You know, anything is possible. I remember uh, one of my favorite basketball players, Kevin Garnett. He won his first championship in the NBA. I want to say back in 2008, he has a very... Um, um, memorable one-liner when they put a microphone in front of him. He was, he was so happy. He screams, anything is possible. Uh, really, though? KG, I, I want to see you play in the, in the league right now at like 40-something. It's not possible for him to play right now. He can't keep up with the young kids, right? But you and I have that word impossible for a reason. 
You and I have that word in our vocabulary because of our limitation, because of our finite, finite power. Our power is finite. There's, there's a limitation to our power. There's a limitation to our wisdom. I see a lot of people in this room, and I, I know most of you guys are probably smarter than me, if not all of you. A lot of wisdom, but you don't know it all. Those of you that are teenagers, we get it. You know it all. I can see. You know everything. We don't know anything. But the more you get it, you, 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 the more you grow, the more you know, the more you know that you don't know anything, if that makes sense. There's a limitation even to our wisdom. There's even a limitation to our will. You know, you want to do something? Like, you know, be committed to a, a gym routine. You start it, and guess what? I mean, you, you're so, like, you know, pumped and going. And, and uh, three weeks passes, you're like, ah, you know what? I, I just I, I can't, I can't do it today. Your, your will is limited. You know, you start a diet. Or you, you start a, because you're super spiritual in here, right? Everybody's super spiritual. Everybody's been saved. Everybody has like 75 crowns on their head already in heaven. Because, you know, you start a reading plan in your Bible. And you say, you know what? Especially now, January is coming. January 1st, I'm going to read Genesis to Revelation by the time December 31st, 2024 happens. That's my New Year resolution. I pray and I hope you see it through. By the way, I'm not discouraging you from doing that. But for most of us, on March 13th, 2024, we're like three weeks behind already on our reading plans. Because our wills are limited. That's all it means. That's all it shows. It doesn't, doesn't mean that you're a unicorn and God is going to send you to hell for that. That's not what I'm saying. Our wills are limited. Impossibility is a word in our vocabulary because our wills, our wisdom, and our power is limited. But God, the angel says, God is infinite in power. He's infinite in wisdom. And his will is also infinite. Therefore, that word impossible doesn't exist in him. Now bring me any philosopher, any scientist, any theologian, so to speak, that can come and argue with that. That's a knockout blow that the angel delivers in our, in our passage here. How can this be? Because to God, everything is possible. Because in, with God, nothing is impossible. How can you argue with that? Instead. Your response should resemble, and our response should resemble Mary's response. I mean, she's, she's really responding from a, suffering from a, a technical knockout, right? A TKO. That's it. I'm like, all right, you got it. Look at her response. Look at, she's not defeated, by the way. I mean, in a sense, she is, but there's a, there's a sense of humility. 
a broken heart and as a contrite heart than Mary that we see here. Mary said, Behold, a slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Look at our response. It's, it's true, joy-giving, saving, fulfilling trust and obedience in God. That's a response. It's a true response. It's joy-giving response. It's saving response. It's fulfilling response that is filled with trust in what God is saying to her through the angel. And obedience to what he says. She says, may it be done for me. Is that what it says? May it be done to me. May it be done to me who found divine favor. In verse 28, this is how the angel greets her. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. The angel said to her in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She is a recipient of divine grace. So she says, to, to me, who is a recipient of divine grace, may it be done. To me, without violating my will, instead, with joyful eagerness, right? Do, do this to me. Sometimes I... You guys have seen, if you are here, and maybe you'll see them after service. You guys have seen Trinity and Gabby. You guys know who they are, right? My two girls. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll tickle one of them. Love, I don't know what it is about kids and getting tickled, but they love it, right? I'll tickle one of them, and the other one will come and say, hey, do this to me. Like most times when you say somebody's doing something to you, you're really talking about something negative, right? But this is the joyful kind of sense of what Mary is seeing. This divine work of the Holy Spirit that's about to take place in her life is so exciting. She's like, do it to me! It's not that God is forcing her and twisting. Think of your salvation. You heard the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he can take a sinner and turn him into a saint, how he can take a, a dead person and give him eternal life. And you said, do this to me. Most of us would say, do this for me. But can I challenge you? Start saying, do this to me. Like, you, with that excitement. To God? Do this to me in a personal, that's that also to me, to, to me, like me, the person. You see the, the intimate, personal, in a very intimate way. May this happen to me, not just theoretically, but like knowing the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want that. Like in a real way, in a personal way, like, you know, like, you know, Trinity knows what that tickle feels like. And Gabby sees that excitement. She's like, no, I want that kind of connection. I want that kind of joy. I want that kind of fun, right? I want that to happen in my life. Don't you? Not the tickling part, but the work of the Holy Spirit, that is. 
I won't do that to any of y'all, by the way, just, just for the record. But in a personal and intimate way, that's her response. And this happens according to God's own word. May this be done to me according to your word. Now that you're here, the pronoun is there to refer to the angel. But the angel, remember, he's just a messenger. He's just a conduit. So she's not saying according to the angel's word, really indirectly what she's saying. May it be done to me according to your word. The work of the Holy Spirit that is personally touching your life is going to be consistent with the word of God that has been revealed. That's the kind of intimacy, according to his will, according to his faithfulness. Not according to my understanding. Not according to the level of faith I have right now. Or not according to my performance, not according to my Bible reading, not according to my prayer life, not according to that, but according to the word of God and the faithfulness of God. May it be done to me. This is the divine mystery of Christmas. This is the divine mystery that Christmas reveals. And if you have believed, friend, in the one who was born to Mary, Holy Spirit has revealed this truth to you. The Holy Spirit has revealed this mystery to you. You do have. You can, you can be assured. You may know the certainty of the work of the Holy Spirit that is in your life. You might not feel it. You might not sense it. It's not according to the way that I feel right now. It's according to the faithfulness, according to the Word of God. And the Word of God tells us that once one believes, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in you. He's there. He will never see, leave you nor forsake you. He would work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So if you're a believer, this mystery has been revealed to you already. If you have not believed, and this baby who was promised to Mary, who was born, lived, died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, and will come back down. If you have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do not have that personal, intimate sense of the work of the Holy Spirit, because you have not believed, not because you're not feeling it, because you have not, pray today that He would reveal His divine mystery to your heart. For today is the day of salvation. That is what Christmas is about. This is what we mean when we say to people, Merry Christmas. This is what we declare to people. This is what we are reminded of. This is what we celebrate. That you and I live in an age where the divine can actually live in us, the natural, to accomplish His will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your gift of salvation. 
through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift that you've given us. Not only to, to be saved from the punishment of sin, but to be indwelled by your Spirit who works and leads and empowers every aspect of our lives. So we ask, Lord, that He would continue to reveal the mystery of the work of the Holy Spirit that is done to us and for us according to Your Word. So that we may be conformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So that we may bring the light and the joy of salvation to the world around us. So that we may grow to love you and to love one another and to love the whole world as you have loved it. Father, we ask that your Spirit would apply every truth that you have taught us in your Word to every heart in a personal, intimate way so that lives can be transformed. I pray that you continue to pour out the transformational power of your Spirit in everyone that hears this message so that those who are saved can be assured and know the certainty of the things that they've learned. And those who have not saved can see the light and trust in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in His name we pray. Amen.